What's up, guys? This is Josh with Shepherd's Cast, and I want to welcome you to the podcast where I talk to you about the things that I find important. My content is meant to inform, educate, puzzle, or be funny. If it does something other than what I've just said, then solely Deo Gloria. We will just call it Providence. All of what I say is read from blog posts that I have written and can be found on my website with the link in the show notes. So anyway, yeah, here we go. Today's podcast is an interruption to the series in Matthew, and it will be based purely on the idea of something I find extremely important and otherwise lacking in many churches today. That is a broad and generalized statement that is really aimed more toward churches that have larger congregations. The topic I'm referring to is discipleship. Now, there are multiple different levels of discipleship. For instance, you have the formal idea of discipleship, which would take place during the gathering on the Lord's Day, or in any subsequent church event. This type of discipleship is more akin to a teacher and a student. While there are chances to ask questions or to learn away from simply the gathering, it is more aimed toward teaching the congregation as a whole rather than simply the teaching of a single person. You also have less formal discipleship that may exist among small groups or life groups. For this type of discipleship, it is more personal where you can have a discussion with one another about certain biblical topics. This is more akin to a study group and is more likely done in a group of your own peers. The final type of discipleship, and that's what I want to focus on, is the one-on-one style of discipleship where an elder or older Christian is encouraged to take a younger Christian under their wing, as in a tutor, if we are staying within the confines of the original illustration. Now, if you're not going to a church that faithfully exposits the word, or your church, though being larger, does not have breakout groups, or you do not have a community of believers you can reach out to, you have another problem on your hands larger than the one I want to represent. If, however, you do have that in your life, and you are simply looking for a discipleship mentor of sorts, then pay attention, because I want to cover a couple of different biblical examples that show both the importance of this in our churches as well as the fruitfulness of such relationships. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't feel the need to be discipled, you're in any way wrong, nor am I suggesting that if you don't feel the need to mentor someone, you're otherwise wrong. I simply want to propose a problem that I've personally seen visible in the church and why I believe mentorships or one-on-one discipleships would be beneficial. I want us to begin with the reading of the Great Commission given to us by our Lord before he ascended to the Father. Matthew 28, 19-20 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. While it is important to share the gospel with all, fulfilling half of this command, it is also important to go forth and make disciples. You are to go forth, teaching them to observe all that I, being Jesus, have commanded you. 
as in, if you go out and share the gospel, but leave the newly converted Christian to their own devices, you are only fulfilling half of the Great Commission. Even giving them a Bible without any discipleship can leave them wanting, as it leaves out all of church history and any sort of guidance that may be necessary. Before I really dive in, I want to define what discipleship means. Dictionary.com defines discipleship as the condition or situation of being a disciple, a follower, or a student of some philosophy, especially a follower of Christ. Let's put this into even more understandable terms. Discipleship, in a Christian sort, would be to train someone up in the truth of the Christian faith, as in, a mentor would encourage the reading of the Bible while they would assist in filling in the gaps that historical context may have left, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16-17, with a scripture-saturated mind, the mentor can engage, rebuke, reprove, and encourage their disciple in the ways of the Christian faith. In other words, following the teachings of one, Jesus Christ, until you become like the one, or conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In theory, this would create an endless stream of disciples and disciple-makers, conforming each to the image of Christ. In order to tackle this topic, I'm going to use a couple of different scriptural examples. The first example we're going to encounter actually comes from defining this idea of discipleship, and it comes from Titus chapter 2. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So this idea of a discipleship chain didn't really start in any modern sense. Rather, it is something that is depicted in the word of God. Older women are to teach the younger women how to go about their godly lives, loving their husbands and raising their children in a manner that glorifies God. And it's not done simply in a spiritual sense, although that is clearly part of it. A good mentor would literally teach practical things that their disciple may need to know to simply go through life. This, the practical wisdom, is one of the many reasons why it is important that an older person reach down to lift up a younger person. The practicality of specific life events must be taught, especially when the person who needs a mentor doesn't have a great family system to fall back on to learn these things. While in a perfect world, yes, these things would be extremely evident due to the teaching of our parents, but maybe the way our parents did it wasn't exactly 100% correct. What if, in learning that the way our parents did it is not correct, we go out searching for the way that is most God-glorifying? What better way to give such knowledge than through the wisdom of the church? This is not to suggest that the church should be a closed circuit, never getting any new information. Rather, wisdom gained through years of Christian living is immeasurably valuable, and the God who we worship never changes, Malachi 3.6. And though the world seems to change before us in our short time, we must remember that the wisest of all men said, There is nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 10 we must rid ourselves of two views if we are to find benefit and be open to personal discipleship. First, 
the younger person who needs discipleship, no matter if they think they do or not, must value the knowledge and wisdom that can come from such a person. It would be egregious to believe that the wisdom they have to offer is of no use when they've already lived through this life, or have at least progressed further than the one seeking wisdom. And likewise, for the older person, it should burn in your mind that what you have to say and what you have to offer does have worth and it should be gifted to the younger person. Rather than seeking it from untrustworthy self-help articles online, we should seek knowledge from our elders at the local church body. The second example I want to focus on is more of an entire book or two overview rather than a passage. The relationship I want to focus on for this next example is that of Paul and Timothy. In the first book of Timothy, Paul literally calls Timothy his, quote, child in the faith, 1 Timothy 2.2. It isn't really safe to assume that Paul took part in Timothy's conversion, whereas it is probably more likely that Paul ordained Timothy for ministry. It is quite clear from this letter and the following letter that Paul and Timothy had a discipleship-mentor relationship. So what can we gather from the examples found in these letters? First and foremost, we must remember that these epistles were aimed at Timothy as the primary recipient, but were also meant to be read aloud to the church of Ephesus. These epistles focused mainly on instruction for Timothy's pastoral ministry, but also included quite a few personal touches that showed the relationship and the true love that Paul had for Timothy. So let's take a look at a few different things that show the fruit of such a relationship. To begin with, as mentioned before, Paul refers to Timothy as his child in the faith multiple times. Since we've already touched on this, however, I'm going to continue on. Next, Paul makes sure to mention that Timothy should not completely abstain from alcohol due to his stomach problems in 1 Timothy 5.23. Now this does not add or subtract from the debate of completely abstaining from alcohol. It is simply the call to use alcohol for some form of medicinal use. It would seem that this piece of advice is a bit disconnected from the other verse. However, in the context of purity, it is entirely possible that Timothy completely refused anything other than water for the sake of his own purity. Paul would have known this being so close to his child in the faith, and would have wanted to warn him not to remain strictly with water only, as it would not affect his purity. Next, in 2 Timothy 1, 3-7, Paul explains how he prays every day for Timothy and how he fondly remembers Timothy's sincere faith. He then makes mention of the faith of Timothy's grandmother and mother and how he hopes the flame of that faith is just as present in Timothy as it was in them. This passage is one that is frequently used to show the evidence of a believer being baptized at belief rather than as an infant. However, that is not the focus of our mission today. This passage also shows how close-knit the body of believers is, and just how personal of a pastoral mentor Paul was to Timothy. It must have been an encouragement to Timothy for Paul to highlight his family in an expression of who he thinks of when he himself needs encouragement. The final thing I want to highlight, though there are so many, are the many and specific attempts at encouraging Timothy. The work of the ministry is indeed hard and can be trying both on one's spirit as well as their physical endurance. 
Paul makes great pains all throughout his letter to Timothy to encourage him to persevere. This is both a highlight of how God uses means to achieve the ends of his plan, as well as a show of how Paul truly cares for the well-being and spirit of his child in the faith. With statements such as, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.1 we see a father imploring his child to persevere as those around him fall away. 2 Timothy 4, 9-16 In summary, we see that one-on-one, -on -one, Paul presently and actively engages his disciple. We see that Paul cares about the well-being in the faith as well as his physical well-being. We see instances where Paul thinks of Timothy with such fondness as to be an encouragement to himself. And finally, we see Paul exhorting and imploring his disciple to push forward and to persevere, not simply because Paul is losing everyone else, but that he cares specifically for Timothy. Yes, from this, the church can take that they need to persevere as well, but Paul specifically outlines it for Timothy. While I believe these two scriptural examples, Timothy and Titus, will suffice, I do have one more example from scripture that I would like to use to support my belief in the need for one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Ephesians 4, 11-16 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As a body of believers, much of that can be done by the preaching of the word and even by the study of scripture. However, the purpose of these things are to build up and equip the saints for the ministry, growing us into mature Christians until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Not all of this can be done in a group setting or from pastor to congregant. Much of this must be done by the saints lifting up one another, mentoring one another, reaching to the lower rung of the ladder, so to speak, and lifting up your brother or sister in Christ to your level of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. I want to wrap up this podcast with a point from personal experience. Since this does not hold any weight when compared to scripture, I made sure to save it for the end. I do, however, feel as if it is a point of evidence in what does and does not work. As a new Christian, I was thrust into a small group where no one really had a grasp on good doctrine. Mind you, no one was a heretic that I knew of, but most people were on my level of understanding. We weren't really focusing on a lesson plan or anything that guided us. We really just made our own lessons as we went. We would read some scripture and determine the truths from it as we went. And as a new Christian, half the time I had no idea what I was talking about. Before long, I had taken the lead and started teaching my own group. This was a terrible idea. 
I mean, the fire was present, of course, but the knowledge and wisdom was not there. Let me just give you an example of how this went. We started off our new small group with myself as the leader by proposing we answer tough questions proposed by anonymous sources in the group. The first question was, what happens initially when we die? It was up to us to go out, read the Bible, and determine the answer from there. So I created an entire lesson around the heretical idea of soul sleep. Mind you, I had no idea what I was talking about, and neither did anyone else. Continuing on, I found Reformed theology, but still had no clue what I was talking about, and I taught about the five points of Calvinism. In this, during the tea, which is total depravity, I mentioned that we lost the Imago Dei at the fall. Yikes! My point is this. I would trust myself running a small group now, but of course there is still a ton of stuff I don't know. I'm faithfully studying and can now humbly admit when I am wrong. I also know trusted sources. I study my confession. I read my catechism, etc. But back then, I would not have trusted myself to make a trustworthy Facebook post, and people look to me for answers for tough questions. I have the opportunity to not only lead people astray, but teach someone something that could shake their faith and cause them to leave. Mind you, I know that if they left us, they were never part of us, but I would have been the God-ordained means to the end of them showing their true colors. So while life skills discipleship may have been possible, it would have been impossible for me to lead anyone correctly in the faith. I was immature, still am to an extent, and still on the milk, choking on the stuff I wasn't ready for. While this isn't everyone's experience, it was mine. Small group or life group was not the place to find discipleship, especially one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And it is my firm belief that though it is possible to find it there, it is and would be more beneficial to seek discipleship from someone more mature in the faith and in life than where you currently are. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It is always a pleasure to bring the Word of God to those who are seeking to know more about Him. I also want to thank Course in the Chaos, the two admins of which assisted me in putting together some of the references here. The final word of the day comes to us from a good friend of mine, Jacob McDaniel with JM Ministries. I asked him to provide for me a couple of thoughts on discipleship. Check it out. Hello, everybody. First off, allow me to introduce myself. This is Jacob McDaniel um, with JM Ministries. And uh, Josh Dyke has asked me to come over and uh, share with you guys a little bit about discipleship um, and what it actually what it actually means. And to share a little clip about you on discipleship. Um, so what I've done is, is uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, uh, verses 34 through 35. And uh, we're just going to hit on that a little bit. Um, and talk about discipleship. Um, but before we dive in, I would like to pray and uh, we'll dive into God's word. Dear God, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for loving us the way you do, God. God, you're a true, loving, caring father, God. God, that we can, we know that we can't do nothing without you, God. But with you, we can do anything, God. God, you are so great, so mighty, so powerful, God. God, your love for us goes beyond measures, God. God, I pray that you let this word um, encourage a life, heal a life, save a life, whatever you may do, God. God, just have your way, God. God, we love you. We thank you, and we're excited to see what you're going to do. 
In Christ's name, amen. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So basically when it says here that, that new commandment or reissued commandment here that it's saying, it comes out of the context of where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet in John 13, 2 through 5. Jesus explains that, it's, that if he's going to act in love and as a humble servant, so should we who follow him. So should we of disciples of him. We should act the way Jesus does if we're going to follow him and be a disciple of him. We should act the way he does, right? How are you going to say you are a true follower, a true disciple of Jesus? If you aren't acting the way he does, your actions reflect who you follow. Your actions reflect who you are. And if you're out not showing love to one another and, and you're showing hatred to one another, people's going to see that you're not a true follower of Jesus. You're not a true disciple of Jesus. You're not showing love as Christ loves the church. Christ loves you. Jesus died for you. So you should show love for one another as he shows love for you. He showed love for you by dying on that cross, taking that beating for you, taking every single whip, every single nail, every single spit for you, for me, so we that we may have life and life everlasting. It's the most powerful sign of one's Christian faith is to love one another, not show hatred. Jesus is explaining here. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you continually show love for one another, no matter the color of their skin, no matter the background they come from, no matter the kind of car they drive, no matter the style of their clothes, if you are showing love as Christ shows love, it'll reflect your, your discipleship for Christ. It'll, it'll reflect what you are following and it'll reflect that you are truly following Christ. Christ loves you. And if you're going to be like Christ, you must act like Christ. Does that make sense? If you're going to be like him, you must act like him. If you're going to follow him, you must show love as he shows love. Christ loves you. And I'm so glad that I could come here and share with you this afternoon. And I hope that this helps. And I hope that it encourages the life. And I pray that you will love one another. As Christ loves the church. And I pray that you will love one another. As Christ loved you. You see Jesus loved you. And died on that cross for you. No, no matter what. No matter what. He died on that cross for you. No matter how deep in sin you was. He died on that cross because he loved you enough to give you everlasting life and free you from your sins. Jesus loves you. And I pray that you will show love to one another as he does. God bless.
Again, that was Jacob McDaniel, and you can find him on Facebook at JM Ministries. He has shown himself to be absolutely on fire for God, and I personally find him to be an incredible encouragement. If you want to listen to more that he has to offer, you can find a link to his page and his TikTok in the show notes. He is fighting the good fight in a dark place, so to speak. A special thanks to Jesus Wannabes for allowing me to use their newest track, Ephesians 6, in my intro and outro music. You can find a link to their Spotify in the show notes. And, as always, may the light of the Holy God shine upon you. Amen. Wage war with faith in Jesus.